ECU? Do you breathe purple and gold? Are you ready to hoist the colors? Now, time for the most in-depth look at the world of ECU athletics. Welcome in to Hoist the Colors with your host, Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. Watch the show live on Facebook and at 94.3thegame.com. Now, here's your host, Stephen Igo. All right, welcome into this Tuesday, September 19th edition of Hoist the Colors. We are live on YouTube and Facebook early this a.m. because we got the Mike Houston Weekly Press Conference coming up at 11.30 over at Town Bank Tower heading into the Gardner-Webb game. So if you got a question, comment, drop it to us on social media. As always with our Tuesday show, we are joined by Joe Sampson, former ECU tight end, slash athlete, slash defensive end, nose tackle, outside linebacker. He did it all. He was in the locker room for four years and now is uh, embarking on his media career. So we always enjoy his insights. So, Joe, you're an alum like myself. Uh, ECU, pretty fun first half. It was. In terms of just being in a competitive, fun football game. And unfortunately, from there, the second half kind of got away from the Pirates. We'll dive into the numbers later. But you just I gave my overall thoughts. Philip did as well on uh, Monday's show. Just your overall thoughts on ECU's lost app state. Uh, Flynn's sanity was alive and well in the first right. half, i got to say. Uh, he looked calm, compelled. And just The composure in the pocket was so much more than we had seen over the first two games just to settle in and understand where the ball is supposed to be, how to get the ball out, who to get the ball to in situ- or certain situations. The problem was the defense looked great until you could tell they were just on the field too long. And actually, the Jets coach Robert Sala had the same quote when Brees Hall talked about his carries this past Sunday. He was like, it's hard to give anybody carries when your defense is always on the field. And that's kind of what it looked like for East Carolina. Because if you look at the snap totals, I'm sure you have it on PFF, defense had to be near 60 or 70 snaps. 77 snaps. Yeah, my offense, I think, at 65. um, Almost 80 snaps, which is ridiculous for anybody who doesn't follow the snap count numbers usually. You're looking for about 50 to 60. 65 is like the highest of the highs if you can kind of get off the field and do what you're supposed to do. But 80 is ridiculous. And it showed. a non OT game. Yeah, non OT game showed in the second half against the running team and the running clock rule now, which is also its own factor that shaves 10 plays at least off of a game as they've looked at the numbers. But East Carolina just kind of looked like a completely different team in the second half as opposed to the first. So I don't know if it was just the adjustments weren't there. They made the wrong adjustments. Uh, App State made a better adjustment to kind of understand some things. It just kind of was a tale of two halves, and that seems to be the theme so far in these last two games, I go. Yeah, I mean, that's the disappointing thing is is you're up 21 to 10, and uh, we had the coaching show with Mike Houston last night, and I thought two big plays stood out to me in terms of just swinging the entire game. All right, so you, you get the score. Rajay Harris scores 21-10. There's like a yeah. minute, something left in the half. You get a short kick, big return, personal foul. ECU's, you know, the, the stadium at that point was silent. Mm-hmm. The momentum was all on ECU. Now App is starting on, like, the ECU 40, and they score in, like, three plays. And, of course, ECU had to put in Mason Garcia. Mm-hmm. Coach Houston confirmed last night. Alex Flynn was dinged up at the time. Uh, and, and it's tough to put in a cold quarterback on a two-minute drill and go score. So instead of 21-10 at halftime, instead of App being backed up in their own territory, they get on the field, they score, and they get the ball coming out of the second half. So that flipped the entire complexion, the field of the game. And then also in the second half, you know, one-point game, 
Yeah, App State's leading. Josiah Hatfield open across the middle on second mm-hmm. long. Doesn't make the catch. Third down, ECU uh, is is backed up. Instead of being in plus territory, Alex Flynn makes uh, one of his poor throws of the day, throws across the field. He actually had Hatfield open again yeah. across the middle. Um, but that's a pick. They return it. They go on basically to roll. So those were the two big you know, turning points. We can get into some of the lack of adjustments as well. But those are plays winning teams uh, either make or you know the mistakes they can't afford to make. Yeah, and the inverse of that also is that App State's safeties had a, a great day just understanding route concepts and were very well prepared as far as what East Carolina does and likes to do in those situations. Because if you look at the one on the left sideline when he's trying to throw that slot fade, mm-hmm. I think it was to Patterson, the safety runs 15 yards downhill and picks it at its highest point. That's just great coaching and great know-how as far as playing. But if you're a quarterback, you kind of have to understand, okay, he might break on this. You might need to put this ball a little more of a level two ball or a layered ball, as we probably call it in layman's terms, and just put it where it can't get caught or it can't get picked off. And that's just starting to feel it and understand, and you've gotten your game reps now. This was only the second time we've seen Flynn get meaningful game reps. And I don't discredit the Campbell game last year when he came in for the one play to spell Holt Nailers, but... That's not what you need to do to develop a quarterback. You need to baptize him by fire. He needs to see the disguise coverages, the roles, and all those things you can't really replicate in practice. So he's going to get better for sure. The offense looked night and day better in the first half. In the second half, it kind of appeared as if some of the play calling went back to what wasn't working in the first two games, and they were trying to establish something that doesn't seem to be a strength of this team. So I found it interesting that in the first two games, this is according to Pro Football Focus, ECU had more gap runs than uh, than zone runs against mm-hmm. App State. 19 design runs with the back, 18 zone runs, one gap run. So they basically went back to all, in, basically all inside zone. I mean, there's a ton of inside zone, very little outside yeah. zone. So. Um, Mixed results. Rajay, I thought, had a had a good day. I mean, he averaged 4.6 yards per carry, 36 yards after contact. Really didn't have much room to run at all. But I thought, honestly, he looked great. I mean, I thought Rajay in the run game looked as good as he – as effective as he had all year. I know he wasn't busting the big ones, but, like, he was consistently making a guy mm-hmm. miss, getting three, four, five yards. Um, they've yet to get Marlon Gunn going at all. They uh, Gerald Green, we still haven't seen – get a carry yeah through three games you got so, four offensive snaps though yes here. i saw saw him in the game right my question was heard so it's like i don't know we've talked a lot about the quarterbacks but still the run game is not there and my question is too with flint quarterback are they just going to be more of an inside zone team versus you know with mason you're going to try to do maybe some more design runs gap runs and kind of play off him so does that limit your ability to run different stuff from a running back perspective? This is going to sound crazy. Uh, I don't think Coach Kirkpatrick's going to change the power schemes at all. Flynn isn't a very mobile guy. He's not like one of those hyper-mobile scrambler kind of guys, but he can give you 15 to 20 yards like we've seen him do when he pulls He made it some nice just, runs. Yeah, he's he's got a good head on him and knows when he's supposed to run and when he's supposed to stay in the pocket or give the ball off. And that's kind of the difference also is – if you put him in the zone offense as opposed to the power offense, he has the ability now to read it and understand if this back is there. Can the D lineman crash and get the dive, or can he pull it and kind of get on the outside and pick up 15 to 20 yards? And Mason's 
caveat is he can put his shoulder down and go get 20 yards through the middle. So I don't think it changes the play calling. I think it changes the situations. Okay. Uh, so looking at the, the numbers as well, Flynn, he was under pressure 42% of his dropbacks. Av did a good job mixing it up. They blitzed basically 50% of the game and you know dropped into coverage 50% of the game. So they had a good plan. And how do you feel like Alex handled it? I mean, look, he made the three picks, and I'm with you, though. I think he looked – the offense looked much more composed mm-hmm. with him at quarterback, and I made the comment to Coach Houston last night, even when he made a mistake, he didn't look rattled. He still looks like the same guy. He still has a calm demeanor. So I like that about him. Uh, are there limitations at times compared to what, you know, a, a strong arm, faster quarterback can do? Sure, but at the end of the day, at the quarterback position, if you don't have the consistency – Nothing else matters. And I've seen some people say, hey, this is, if this is Alex Flynn's ceiling, then maybe we should just go back to Mason. But I don't think this is his ceiling. It's the first time he's ever played really right. in like a true game where the game is on the line. We saw good and bad things. Well, everybody's a Twitter coach these days. Oh, I go. Including you. Yeah, these <laughs> days. Uh, Flynn's ceiling is a little higher than this because we saw him manage the game. When he went in, he understood where the ball was supposed to go, how to get the drive going, how to build confidence in the receivers early on. And then he kind of started to go to one of his favorite targets, which is going to be Patterson, his old high school mm-hmm. teammate and his roommate, and they're, they're just best friends. And Flynn does a very good job at understanding the defense's holes, and that's not something that we saw as much with Garcia, where you were kind of anticipating throws and throwing into tight windows. Mason kind of likes to look it down throw it when it's open as opposed to anticipating where it's going to be. And that just comes with experience and time in a system. Flynn's ceiling can be probably two or three more touchdowns. Flynn could give you four touchdowns a game, two on the ground and then two in the air that he throws or lead those long drives. And if you take out those three picks, I mean, his completion percentage was probably near 60, which is very good for a quarterback in college, never mind just in a spread system like we run. So it's different to look at as far as what you want out of Flynn, but it is still the results that will pay off more because you can be in those tight ball games and let your defense win it. So I find it interesting as well, pro football focus through three games, there's only two players that, I should say three players on offense that grade out above average. Uh, They are Mason Garcia, Alex Flynn, and Rajah Harris, and basically everybody else is, is... replacement level in their eyes. I'm not saying this is my take, but in their eyes. Mm-hmm. So there, there are problems with the entire offense, and a lot is made about the quarterback position. You know, Mason's grade is obviously bumped up because of the run game. He, he's graded out uh, below average as a passer. So I don't know. I mean, I just feel like this offense, I did a deep dive with the recruiting uh, over the last three years from 2020 through 2022, and the only scholarship receiver – from those three classes still on the team, as far as originally came in on scholarship, is Brock Spalding. Now, yep. there have been walk-on guys who have been placed on scholarship. Um, there have been transfers. Mm-hmm. But as far as high school recruiting, Brock Spalding is the only one. Yeah. Offensive line-wise, you got Richard Pierce, uh, Jacob Sacra, uh, Walt Stribling foot. Who, at this point. Yeah, foot as well. So, like, you've got some offensive linemen, but a lot more misses as well. So, mm-hmm. for me... I just see that's kind of the root of your problem right now. I know they've tried to replace some of these guys with transfers, and I think the quarterbacks, the experience is obviously hurting them and making this this worse, but I'm just not sure right now that the talent is really where it needs to be offensively, honestly. I mean, that's just kind of what my gut feeling is. I think it's a combination of things, but I think that is a factor, just your take on on that. I think the talent 
drop-off is more noticeable because this is an offense that last year had three or four guys who were NFL NFL yeah. potential. Nashad Strether was at left guard. Now he's at Oregon, so moved up to power five. Justin Red was an all-conference All-American at Norfolk State who came in to play for the Pirates. Noah Henderson was a great right tackle as far as that goes also. At center, Avery Jones is now at Auburn. We're looking at a line that was so good. It was like air conditioning, I go. We didn't appreciate it until we didn't have it. Right. And that's just the story of all offensive linemen and how that kind of plays out and transpires because this is now a team that is completely new as far as that goes. New I, line coach yeah, as well. New line coach, new system, new terminology. Dustin Hall is a center that came over with some experience, but he's never played with these guys. It's going to take him a little bit to try and mold and gel together, and I think they did a lot better this week at App State, but in the past it's kind of looked like they were disheveled or kind of out of sync. So I wouldn't say it's the talent aspect of it. I think it's the experience aspect of it. I think right. there is a lot of talent, especially on the offensive line, that will develop well. I mean, Richard Pierce is a monster. Like, he's a monster. I will say that four times over from now on until he's a monster because he's just a freak of a human being, and soccer is a big kid like that too. Yeah. So they just need to kind of develop and get those trials by fire. I am a big fan of Saker and, and Richard Pierce. And, um, you know, honestly, like looking at the right tackle spot, Hamden Ergo, I think he's doing his best. Mm-hmm. I think realistically he's more of a center guard and yeah. you know, he's having to play tackle because obviously that's where the team needs him. So he's doing his best. I think maybe if, with Murphy coming back, you look at at some point sliding Hampton back inside as well and maybe you get your best five that way. Yeah, he looked extremely comfortable in the bowl game at center. Yeah, I just thought, and, you know, the speed off the edge at times gave him problems on Saturday, which again he's a bigger guy, interior guy in my opinion. So you you, you know he's doing what he can to help the team. Um, we've talked about it a million times. Shane Calhoun, I mean they got to throw him the ball more <laughs> because you, we've talked about the drops. Shane Calhoun is not going to drop the ball. No, I mean, uh, it's just even when they go to him on the shorter design plays, it's consistent, you know, hey, five, six yards. Yeah. There were so many failed first down plays, whether it was run or pass. I know that there was a lot of runs up the middle. People love to complain about that. But you look at the the passing plays on first down Saturday weren't very successful either. They just got to find a way to get Shane Calhoun more involved. I don't care if he's blanketed. I'm just tired of seeing him go two catches, 11 yards, when we know he can do so much more. I agree. And Philip made a good point on Saturday where he's like, they're going to challenge your credibility if you keep talking about Shane Calhoun. But he's the difference maker. Yeah. He's the security blanket for when the quarterbacks don't know where the ball's supposed to go. He blocks on the perimeter. I'm sure you even saw that from the press box on Saturday. Right. When he's on the field, it's a completely different feel for the offense. And I think that's kind of what they felt last Last week, when or two weeks ago now, excuse me, when they were playing Marshall and he was out in the second half, he gives you so much more of a level. Whether you can go with quarterback power and bring him across on a counter, or you can play him out in the perimeter and you can block on the edge, or you can run him deep because he's a ridiculous speed threat at his size and his build. He's a mismatch monster, and that's what you kind of need, especially in this league, who's just got so many freaks coming off the edge or any of these non-conference teams we've played. So get Shane Calhoun the ball, get it to him often, and get it to him early. It's just, yeah, it's one of those things where, like, uh, I've been calling for it for three years. I'm sure you guys in the, in the locker room. I mean, seven targets through three games for arguably your, your one of your best offensive players. Um, and I, look, tight end or not, throw him the football, man. I'm just – with the offense where it is right now, lacking a go-to guy, 
why not make the tight end a focal point? Uh, I like what I see out of Chase Sewell. Mm. Uh, you know, Jalen made some nice catches this past game. But outside of that, you know, Jari has made some plays. Uh, Hatfield still has been inconsistent at times. So I just don't see a ton in this receiving core right now that, you know, I think they will develop. But you know what you have in Shane Calhoun throwing the ball. This That's is true. Said. Watch I, the Marshall tape if you believe so. They threw him the ball eight times, and he had eight catches for 100 yards. So... It is what it is. Uh, whatever. We can do a whole hour on Shane Calhoun throwing the ball. I was going to say, don't let Joe, don't tease him with a whole hour. We'll be here a whole hour. Somebody mute my mic before we get on this rant. Yeah. Throw. I mean, even Desirio Riles, I know he's a freshman, but he's a great athlete. Like, we have athletes now at the tight end position. I'm just tired of not seeing them make plays in the passing game. Anyways, all right, let's, let's, think, let's get a break in. Um and we'll be back. We'll continue to diagnose this ECU football team. We'll get more into the second half issues, some glaring numbers coming out of this last game. We'll talk about why that is uh, going back to the last two games and what's happened to ECU late. You're listening to Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game. We'll be right back. The Pirates play here. Arr! This is Hoist the Colors Radio with Stephen Igo. Yes, that was so good. On 94.3 The Game. All right, welcome back into the program. It is a Tuesday, September 19th edition of the show. I'm trying to get some pep in my step. Uh, the Pirates are 0-3, and we're doing this in the morning. Joe Sampson is in studio. Philip Pilkington is producing. Um, where would you say your excitement meter is right now? Let's go 1-10 for... For A, the show, but B, the Saturday's game. Uh, the show is always like a 9 or a 10. Well, I appreciate that. The reason it's a 9 is because the Jets lost on Sunday, so I was really anticipating just some hatred right. when I walked in. But, you know, it's been okay. So, normally it's a 10. Uh, for this weekend, I'm probably at like a 7. Um, I'm still excited to see what the offense will look like now after Flynn has the keys uh, to the car instead of just taking it out for one night. So, for him to settle in, understand his offense, and prepare as a starter is completely different. Uh, so I'm excited to see that. I'm also excited to see a team that kind of did some similar things that App State did, and there's some film on them that might help East Carolina try and find their groove and kind of kickstart something. So my excitement's at like a seven. Philip, it's a uh, it's a morning week for all of us because not only did ECU lose, and not only the Pirates won three. The uh, the Broncos, my Denver Broncos, blew a 21-3 lead to the Commanders and uh, then teased me by completing a Hail Mary only to not get a two-point conversion. By the way, it was that pass was, interference. What uh, a terrible two-point call. It was a terrible what, play. What a terrible two-point uh, clearly call. Clearly, they were not expecting the Hail Mary to be completed. Um, either way, Broncos are 0-2. The season's pretty much already over. Uh, Phillip... You at least have a young quarterback, although he's still struggling. The Panthers lose last night to the Saints. They're 0-2. The Jets lose. Aaron Rodgers is done for the year. The Jets' season is basically they might can make a wild card, but realistically they're not going to the Super Bowl. We'll revisit this. Zach uh, Wilson. So it's a tough time for all of us. How about those Panthers? Yeah, it is. Um like I was saying to you guys last night, I think the difference is you guys expected your team to make the playoffs. Yeah. I just expected my team to show improvement week to week. Yeah. And I think my team in some ways regressed from week one to week two, Oof. but then in some ways grew. And one of the ways they grew was the quarterback play. And when you've got a rookie, you just want to see progression every week. And I just want to wake up in mid-November and be like, hey, 
I get to watch the Panthers today, not like, ah, oh, darn. I have to There's watch a game the on, I have to watch the game. So, right. But uh, I am definitely uh, still glad my guy's in the playoffs in NASCAR, and I am still uh, ready for hockey season because, yeah, football's been kind of a bust. Both those things do not exist on the show. We're not talking <laughs> NASCAR or hockey. Uh, uh, don't give me Joe and I started on hockey now. You're a hockey guy? Of course I'm a hockey know. guy. He's from New York. Uh, that's, that makes sense. You're a Northeast guy. I am. So, well, I'm a darn Yankee. Now. Yeah. yeah, darn Yankee. <clears throat> so you are a Canes fan. I am a Canes fan. That was a conversion. Me and my dad used to go for dollar hot dog night when they were terrible. Uh, I used to pay four bucks for a ticket. Used to be the joke where I was like, oh my God, somebody broke in and left four more tickets on my dash. And now it's like, wow, $400 to get in to play them. Or see them play the Predators on Tuesday. Did you grow up an Islanders or Rangers fan? I was a Rangers fan Rangers. for a very long time. Then they let me down in the Stanley Cup, and I was like, I'm I'm done. And then they eliminated the Hurricanes recently, right? Yep. yep. So how'd that feel? Uh, you know, it was kind of like, uh, I don't even have an analogy for that one. It just hurt. <laughs> At least you could then go like, Sorry. hey, I can go back to my old ways and pull for the Rangers in the next round. It wasn't like when I had to watch the Broncos beat the Panthers in the Super Bowl, and I was like, uh, yeah. there's not even a next round for me to pull that for the Broncos. I'm just yeah. depressed. <laughs> or your Bruins losing to the Panthers. Yeah, let's not get into that. Yeah, well, the last time the Broncos were relevant, they beat the Panthers in that Super Bowl. Haven't been back to the playoffs since. Somehow. Manning in all 15 inches of his forehead. Yeah, Manning, he was shot at that point, but luckily Von Miller, Cam Newton's daddy, uh, was not. Hey, you know, there's more inches in Peyton Manning's forehead than fans at Charlotte and Rice football games. I didn't know where you were going there. I was first. also, <laughs> I was worried the delay sensor. <laughs> no, no, I was, was going to keep it PG. But we always like to say hey, they have four fans. This I, is true. I booked uh, booked a trip to Rice. What's that say? 7 p.m. You'll get I'm, to see at least 17 I'm fans. I'm fired up. I'm fired. I can't wait to see what the Rice tailgating atmosphere is like. JT Daniels. I am staying right by. Um, I booked the Airbnb like right by their stadium. And I'm genuinely curious if there's like even gonna be a tailgating scene. That's a fair question. I mean, like, does Rice University have a tailgating scene? And I'm gonna report back. I'm gonna take a picture <laughs> of the parking lots, and we'll see how it is. We'll make sure to ask you. Yeah, get I the mean, live scoop. We'll see what it. Rice looked pretty legit this year, by the way. So it should it be a uh, interesting game. All right, Skull Pirates. Uh, we also have a comment from Nick Sampson, 87. He says Joe is a every sport guy. I am. So there's not a sport you dislike? No. Okay. I'll hold you to that. I respect all sports. Okay. Including Major League Pickleball. I'm not. I'm not. Oh, no. I was going to say, I'm going to like study up on Pickleball and ask you about it to see if you know, but it sounds like you do. Try I know me. nothing about Pickleball. I know tennis, not Pickleball. Stay out the kitchen if you can't handle the heat. <laughs> Skull oh, Pirate says, if it is a 14-point or less game this week, are there coaching changes made? Are you asking on uh, if ECU wins by 14 points or less? I don't think there's coaching changes made if you win, regardless of what the score is. Yeah. Uh, now, if you lose, I wouldn't rule it out. Now, here's the deal. All right. So, John Gilbert put out a statement, and um, you can go read that. Hoist the colors on social media. You know, it is what it is. I, I am not – you know, I saw – I was at the coaches' show last night. Mike Houston, and John Gilbert were talking. They seem to be in a great mood. So, I don't think there's anything imminent as far as there. I think John was just addressing – the 0-3 start. I mean, the standard, Joe, you were in the program. The standard has yes, been the raised. Standard. Mm-hmm. And uh, you guys are, are coming off back-to-back bowl wins or bowl games, winning seasons. And, yes, y'all lost some, some pieces. And I think people, you know, saw the early schedule, hey, this this might get off to a rough start. But 
the fashion it has happened is why I think there's so much negativity right now. People are frustrated. Coach Houston talked about that last night. He did say he took the blame. He told the team right after the game. There's a video of that as well. You know, if you want to blame somebody, blame me. Um, so, look, people are frustrated. I get that. I don't think anybody is getting fired if ECU wins a football game this Saturday. There is a bye after the Rice game. If they start 0-5, 1-4, I wouldn't rule it out. But um, that's just my take on it right now. I don't know if you know if you have any other take on just kind of the, the state of things with an 0-3 start when you guys had raised the, the standard. Yeah, first thing I have to say is uh, there are a lot of people who make a lot more money than I do that are going to make that decision, right? and rightfully so. So I can't throw any input into who I think is keeping their job or packing a box. I have no idea. But I do think if you don't start to meet that standard that we've kind of talked about that has been established over the years as an offense and you claim to be a high-powered offense and that's what you want to do when you want to run the ball and you went and got a coach from the O-line after Shank retired to kind of keep running the ball the way you wanted to, you do have to start to answer some questions. And that might be a change in, hey, maybe the scheme isn't what we're supposed to be doing. Maybe we should go back to some of those inside zone things, get the ball out on the edge more, go back to a true spread instead of kind of this hybrid West Coast spread that we like to do with true drop back instead of just trying to get the ball on the edge and with quick screens and tunnel screens and all those different things that can kind of make a football nerd go excited. But it comes down to the fact that, yes, this is a team now that is on the up. It was, I think we're 8-4. and four. No, eight and three against or uh, seven and five. App last yeah last year yeah they, what did App finish? They were six and six last year, but oh, ten and bad. four the year before that. Yeah, yeah. last year was their first year yeah. of FBS. They did not win ten games. Yep. So historically, like you're facing good teams program. that have good programs overall. These are teams that are built to kind of handle these games, and they're good measuring sticks to see where you are as a program. Unfortunately for ECU, they've just fallen fallen like three straight in a row. I mean, anytime you open up against Michigan, who should be number one, right. it, it's rough. And that's just going to be the reality. If you play FCS Northwest and you win that game and then you lose to Marshall and then you lose to App State, it's a completely different conversation. But right. we're talking about this because we've kind of been kicked like a puppy down while we're like in a bag. Yeah. I mean, it's just bad. We were talking about that the other day. If if ECU opened with Gardner Webb and won that game, would there be right. people would be mad? Don't get me wrong, and they'd be upset. But I think the fact you're zero and three versus one and two or one and three mm-hmm. has a lot to do with this. I think if you could just go out and get a win Saturday, that would help. And I made the point: look, Marshall opened with Albany, they struggled, figured it out, then came in and beat ECU. App opened with Gardner Webb, they struggled for a half, figured it out, and now they are where they are. So I just don't think the schedule was ideal for where the program is, right, where, or where the the roster is with all the losses, and uh, they need some confidence. They need to win Saturday. Mm-hmm. And this is a fan base that went from complaining about not winning a game to now we're complaining we aren't winning enough. So this is a complete shift to where it was when Coach Houston got here five years ago, which shows how the program's changed. Right. And you kind of alluded to it as far as where you think the standard's supposed to be. And we know that the standard is the standard. He said we're not going three and nine again, and except for the COVID year where we went three and six. We haven't had less than five wins, or six now, because we were below eligible the last two years except for uh, 20. But this is where he wants to be. This is where Houston likes to sit. He likes to sit in the pressure cooker, as he likes to call it, because that's when the impurities come out of a program. You find out what you're made of. You find out who you're going to be and how you're going to do it. 
Woody43 us says, does Donnie Kirkpatrick say you know what I mean more than 10 times this week? I think he does that more than 10 times every week. To the people that don't know, if you sat in an offensive meeting with Donnie Kirkpatrick, it, it is every Donnieism you could ever imagine and more, and then he's coaching the play with a Donnieism. I think he also goes, you know what I'm saying more than you know what I mean. Doesn't he go like, you know what I'm saying? That's Vance Jackson. Vance Jackson, you say, you know what I'm saying yeah, after no, hopefully, Vance hopefully. Jackson. Donnie's like, yeah. you know what I mean. I mean, yeah. we, we got to be better. Right. That's what we're going to do. You know what I mean. He, he does drop a lot of Donnieisms. That's just Donnieisms. Um, I, I think it's, you know what I'm saying. We're going to pay attention this week. You got to pay attention what? on Wednesday. We'll you guys got to report back to me. I'll be here in the studio. You I'll, guys I'll hold back. on to it. I'll have the numbers Friday. Okay. We'll have PFF come in and do Donnieisms. <laughs> no great Donnieisms. Um, so, all right, guys, I got some trivia for you. There are seven winless teams in college football right now at the okay. FBS level. Can you guys name one other winless team besides East Carolina? UMass. Colorado State. UMass is incorrect. UMass has a win? UMass has a win. Colorado State is correct. Colorado State is correct. UMass, I think they won <clears throat> on the opening weekend. Excuse me. I got choked up there. Uh, they beat... New Mexico State. Oh. They even got an FBS win. There wasn't even an FCS win. Had to be the Lobos. Or that's the Aggies, New Mexico State. Yeah, the Aggies. Yeah. All right, so you guys, uh, he got Colorado State. He got Colorado State. Can you guys name one other one before Hmm. I get the list? I'm going to take that as a no. Uh, I have Charlotte. Yeah, I was going to say the fighting. Charlotte has a win. They have a win. They beat South Carolina State. That's right. All right, so you got Nevada, which is 0-3. Mm. Buffalo is 0-3. Oh, the Buffs. Colorado State, 0-2. Yep. Kind of unfair because they had an early season bye. Right. UConn, Jim Moore Jr., 0-3. Oh, the 0-3. fighting Jim Morris. I was going to say UConn, but I had faith. I shouldn't have. Virginia is the only winless Power 5 team. They're 0-3. Jeez. They also uh, had to play Tennessee, Maryland, and James Madison. Wow. East Carolina. And Sam Houston State, which is uh, in their first year of FBS, they have lost to BYU and Air Force. So seven winless teams. The Pirates have a chance to get off this list this yeah. Saturday. I think we need to put an asterisk for Virginia, though, um, considering everything that has yeah. kind of occurred. I, I mean, tough situation. I, for I can't imagine. Well, t- Oops, tough situation and, and tough schedule. Yeah. yeah. Well, like, I mean, James Madison was ranked, I think, at one point last year. Mm-hmm. You mentioned Tennessee. Was that one of the other teams they've played? Yep, they played yeah. Tennessee. Yeah. Tennessee. And then and, I don't uh, remember who the Nissan. third one. And who? Uh, and then um, Maryland. And yep, Maryland. Maryland, Tennessee, James Madison. Yeah, Maryland's not great. No. That's still but Maryland's I mean, no slouch. Yeah, you're playing a team that was ranked last year and then two power five yeah. teams. So. If James Madison isn't in, in their first year of FBS, they're in the Sun Belt, like, conference title and possibly yeah. New Year's Six. So. Yeah, that's a good program. Um, all right, so ECU second half has really struggled the last few games, specifically, obviously, the entire second half. I mean, they didn't score an offensive touchdown against App State, and they got the defensive score, Siobhan Rebel, but they were outscored 27-7 to in the second half. I'm about to read the numbers here. They're pretty startling. The second half comparison is uh, is, is pretty – Pretty amazing. It's ECU gave up uh, obviously 27 points, but they also had 42 yards of offense in the second half compared to 253 yards of offense. They had negative five rushing yards. They gave up 114. 
139 to 47 passing yards, five penalties to App's one penalty. Third down, six of eight. App State went 75% on offense. ECU went just one of five, 20%. And uh, the two turnovers, of course, in the time of possession, 19 minutes to 11 minutes in favor of App State in the second half. So those those numbers are startling. And how much of this is App at this point? is just a better team and maybe has better players to execute its scheme versus adjustments versus ECU just being unable offensively to move the football and that having a effect on the entire team. That it, was a loaded question, so sorry about it is that. Lo- Hang on, I'm computing. <laughs> it's difficult to kind of put uh, a category to the second-half struggles. It just appears that defense is run down by the time they get to the fourth quarter, and we talked about they're almost at 80 snaps. That's <clears throat> could be like near a game and a half as far as what you're expected to play on defense, and I can tell you from experience that is not what you want to do. You want to be off the field as much as possible. You want to joke about we haven't played enough, and it, it just seems the opposite right now for ECU's defense. But the offense, it just looks like, no, this is what was working in the first half. Maybe we can kind of gash him and, and go back to what we wanted to do and, and reestablish that part of our offense as well. And it appeared App State prepared more for what they thought was coming as opposed to what they kind of ran in the first half. And, and that's just kind of the dice roll that we call coaching because you're guessing what another person is guessing you're going to do. And there's tendencies and tips and tricks. And I'm sure there's something on tape that ECU is going to go back and say, we shouldn't have done that. But that's how you Monday morning quarterback. Donnie Kirkpatrick kind of went away from what was working in the first half as a play caller also because you were hitting him on the edge. You were kind of gashing him up the middle after going to the edge to spread out the box and avoid them loading it as a defense giving up almost six yards to carry at the time. But App State looked like they corrected the issues that they had against UNC as well. So to kind of, I guess, half answer your question, it does look like it's a tale of two halves, but this isn't a coaching staff that's just sitting around watching their stories Week in and week out. I mean, they're prepping. They're doing these things. They've got four or five guys going back and watching tape from three years ago to try and pick up a concept. But it's guesswork. And especially this early in the season, you didn't have App State's established kind of M.O. because they've played UNC in an overtime game where the defense from Gene Chizik didn't exactly look stellar when they were playing App State. They played Gardner-Webb and they struggled. So you can't go off what they struggled with because they've kind of corrected it now and maybe they threw it out. So... It, it's definitely a tale of two halves, but I also think it comes down to the fact that at some point you just get run down, and they've played a lot of snaps so far. I'm looking at the drives here in the second half for ECU's offense. Three plays, uh, two plays, three plays, seven plays, six plays, seven plays. So just not many extended drives versus yeah. App, which had eight plays, two plays, which is the fumble, six plays, uh Three plays, three and out, six plays, ten plays, nine plays. So a lot, lot more sustained drives. And part of that, too, is the defense has to get off the field. I mean, they got yeah. you, know, you can't give up six of eight on third down. I mean, there were multiple plays. Look, Frank Ponce is an excellent play caller. I can't remember mm-hmm. when it was, but there was a, a, a period where it was third and long, and they were near the red zone, and ECU went to a – uh, pass defensive personnel package, and mm-hmm. they ran just an outside zone and picked up an 18-yard gain on third and nine. I yeah, mean, I think it was on the 42 on the left edge. Yeah, like they – he does a great job. He calls a great game. But there were also plays where ECU just had busts. Like there was a third and medium. 
ECU just nobody picked up the tight end. He just ran across her and was wide open. So uh, I I tried to ask Blake Harrell about that because this is a team that had beat us with gadget plays before. Right. Uh, the tight end, why hide, as they like to run it, and they ran it at ODU some as well when Ponce was calling it. Uh, but we couldn't really get his kind of pickup on it. So I wonder if maybe I just was thinking too far ahead and having tight end bias or if that was something they were prepared for, like the double screen. And these second issue, I mean, second half issues, you got to figure them out because you get up 21 answered, unanswered to Marshall in the fourth quarter. And I think a lot of it too, Joe, is learning how to respond from adversity. Like we yeah. talked about the Hatfield mm-hmm. drop and the pick, and it just seemed like, I'm not going to say the team folded, but the team did not handle that that change, that sudden change and giving up the score. The defense actually tried pretty hard to, to hold them out of the end zone before they finally pounded it in. Happens. But then the offense just... I think went three and out right after that. And when you when you make a back-breaking mistake like that, you have to be able to answer. Right now, this team doesn't have that ability, I don't think. Yeah, it, it's just kind of one of those things where it looks like when they get down right now, they can't pick themselves back up. And usually you rely on, okay, defense is going to get a stop for us, but if defense is worn down playing their 77th snap, I mean – at some point, you've also got to turn and be like, okay, maybe I've got to do something better to try and pick the guys up. Maybe we as a unit need to do something differently. Maybe we need to go to a play call we think's there. Maybe we need to bring something up. And it just doesn't appear they can do that right now. All right, let's get a break in. We'll come back. We'll continue on. We'll talk about Gardner-Webb, how much a win could help this weekend. Also, continue to take your questions on social media. Joe Sampson, Stephen Igo, Philip Pilkington. We'll be right back. Hoist the colors. Every ECU fan's one stop for all things ECU athletics. This is Hoist the Colors with Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. All right, welcome back into the show on this Tuesday, September 19th edition of Hoist the Colors. We are live streaming early because of the Mike Houston press conference coming up at 1130. We are, uh, as always, live 12 noon on 94.3 The Game for the radio show. All right. It is time for our Pirate of the Week, and uh, we didn't do it yesterday because we had so many comments to get to, but we need to do it now. Uh, brought to you by East Coast Agency. Our Pirate of the Week is going to be a 17-year-old freshman, Antoine Jackson, the ECU freshman cornerback, four-star recruit. Everybody knows the story there. Flip from Miami to East Carolina. He gets a pick six. Great defensive call, great execution, and great eye discipline by Antoine Jackson. He makes the play. Scores on the eight-yard pick six, his first defensive action of his career. He goes 39 snaps, finishes as ECU's highest-graded player. Had uh, three tackles, allowed just one reception and zone coverage on four targets. So a really good performance by Antoine Jackson. He's our Pirate of the Week. From property damage to essential belongings, we've got you covered at East Coast Agency. Don't wait until it's too late. Act now and enjoy the peace of mind you deserve. Join the countless satisfied customers who've experienced our quick claims process and personalized service. When disaster strikes, we're here to help you rebuild. It doesn't matter who your agent is until it does. Call ECA at 910-446-5061 or visit their website at www.eca-insure.com. East Coast Agency brings to you our Pirate of the Week, Antoine Jackson. And, Joe, um, we, we heard a lot about Antoine, mm-hmm. and we were kind of waiting for him to get his shots. Coach Houston said last night that he had a good week of practice. They were close to playing him against Marshall. He backed it up with another good week, and that kind of gave them the trust to put him on the field, and he played well. You and me have been pushing for this yeah. for a little bit. So Sam Dank is next. 
I'm putting it out there. He, I'm, a, I'm asking Blake Carroll about Sam Danko. You have to. He put such a great showing of why he was such a highly touted recruit on Saturday. And you talked about the eye discipline. They're, they're in a man look there. And it's difficult, especially as a corner, when you're kind of playing that man look to keep your eyes in the backfield but also understand where the receiver's going to be right. so that you can kind of turn and read where the ball's going to be if you need to deflect it or turn your back to it and do what we call a drive-by or one of those different things that you need to do as far as deflections and keeping the ball on the sidelines. He played tremendously well for somebody who's had such limited game action. And I think that kind of goes to the trust that Blake Harrell has in him to play a 17-year-old kid. But he looks wise beyond his years at corner, man. And you talk about a kid that you know he's got it, he's got it. I saw it the way he broke down and he took that ball right before the ball crossed even the first down marker because of where he was set up on the sticks. And he ran like a receiver. People will say it was an easy pick. I disagree because, like you said, you got to have the awareness. Right. you got to understand the play, the situation, and you got to make the catch. How many corners freak out in that moment don't make the catch? And there was a play later in the game where there was another pass to a different corner, mm-hmm. and it could have easily been a pick six, and his eyes weren't. You know where they needed to be to make that play. Yeah. So it's not as easy as it seems, but uh, I think we'll see a lot more of Antoine going forward. And with him and Siobhan Revel, I feel like you could play potentially a lot more man coverage with those two guys on the field at the same time. Easily. And they've got such long length, and mm-hmm. especially in a league that's always looking for the next mismatch or the next tight end to be able to play out in the flex like that. The length and I guess verticality is the best way to put it because of how they can jump and kind of bat the ball down and create these things that they're looking for separation on an offensive front. They have this natural ability to just kind of poke the ball out at the last second. And Coach Weaver does a really good job of teaching the safeties that, and now we're seeing the corners coach do the same thing. You need to know where the ball is at its highest point in order to go intercept it or deflect it, and these two have a really good feel for that. And it's such long and lengthy arms, it kind of creates even smaller windows for these guys and now you can play some dime you can play some six-man db packages and put ibm on the slot guy and bring in an extra guy here and maybe play a different safety over the top and kind of play some more three as opposed to the two and that can be something that will help you in the long run to try and get different looks in the red zone all right let's get our final break in we'll come back we'll wrap up the show give our final takes on app and then look ahead to Gardner webb this is hoist the colors on 94.3 again Back to hoist the colors with Stephen Igo. Check out the Aussie show host. 194.3, the game. All right, welcome back into the show. Good football team coming in this weekend, Joe. Good football team coming in. It really is probably the best FCS team ECU has faced since North Carolina A&T in 2018. If not, Mike Houston, James Madison team, they're not that good, but they're capable of winning this football game. They've got great Carolina does not improve. I mean, ECU is going to have to score Saturday to win. Gardner-Webb has a legit offense. They basically, for those who have not seen, run a, I don't even know what you call it, but a super spread with the wide, wide, yeah. wide receiver mm-hmm. splits. like the you know, Kind of like what Heupel did at UCF and what he's now doing at Tennessee. They stress you horizontally. They're going to throw a ton of little bubble screens to make you respect the wide splits. That opens up the lanes for the running back because you got to get your linebackers out there or safeties to declare uh, to either cover the pass or the run. So it stresses you horizontally. You know, the, if you can get them with a tackle for loss or incomplete pass, you can set them back, make them make mistakes. But it's a, it's a challenge. It's one of those difficult things, I go, and we've kind of looked at it now over the last three weeks, is the schematically 
the schematic differences that have kind of put ECU in binds. And it was the outside zone against App State. It was the big power runs with Michigan and Marshall. And now it's going to be getting the ball on the outside. So Harrell needs to decide yesterday. Are they stopping the power run this week, or are they going to play on the edges? Because you can't do both. And if you try and do both, you will get beat. There's a play where they have the running back lines up in an ISO behind and pistol, runs a fake dive, rolls out with the linebacker, or not with the linebacker, with left tackle, runs like a split screen, and there's a tunnel screen backside with the tight end. You've got to pick one. Right. And unfortunately for us, a lot of time when we see option offenses like that, we have a tendency to pick the wrong one. So Harold's got to decide early what the identity's going to be, and we'll see how the offense can kind of fare against the team that gave App State some trouble. Yeah, and with a scheme like this, which can be pretty tough to adapt to quickly, it sometimes takes us a quarter or two to really figure out, hey, this is the speed at which they're playing. And they go fast, too. They snap it fast. I think Coach Houston said on the coach show last night, they average snapping it every 10 seconds, which is crazy. That's, that's um, fast. They basically have two plays ready to go, like their first and second down play. So they mm-hmm. just roll, and then they adjust on third down based upon where they are on the field. So Trey Lamb's done a heck of a job there. You look at the the last number of FPS games they played. They had the lead on Gardner or um, on App in the third quarter, turned it over a couple times in the fourth quarter, things went away. But they basically played App just as good as ECU. Yeah. Last year they should have beaten Coastal, should have beaten Liberty. Those are two good teams. This is a program that's going to come in here expecting to win, mm-hmm. and ECU has got to put up points. So the good news is Gardner-Webb has given up points. They do have a pretty stout front seven. Um, I don't think ECU is just going to be a line up and a run the football, so they will have to throw it. I guess you go Flynn again this week. I mean, he, I think at this point, gives you the best chance offensively, although some people have said, hey, this is the game we need to allow Garcia to grow. Um, to me, you just got to go win the football game. And I think right now, Alex Flynn gives you the best chance to do that. I think if you were sitting here at 2-1 and one or 3-0, and oh, you could say, yeah, let's give Mason the opportunity to go out there and settle in and find his rhythm. But you're not. And that's the unfortunate thing for the coaches that I'm sure they weren't anticipating when they were trying to develop these quarterbacks is, yeah, Flynn's probably your best chance to win it, and you need to go win this football game. And we've said it for the last two weeks now these were must win games i mean this is a must win game this is, if you lose this game it's gonna get bad it's it's gonna get bad quickly it's a snowball effect and mason gives you a great chance to do the offensive things you wanted to but i think flynn gives you the best chance to win the game and play this it's gonna be a tight ball game as much as nobody wants to hear us say it it's gonna be a tight ball game this is gonna be one of those 28 24 kind of bouts where it's just back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And it's going to take ECU offenses long sustained drives to stay in it. Gardner Webb is an FPS caliber team in many ways. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I, even if ECU was 2 and 1 or 3 0, I would expect this to be a competitive game. Like, mm-hmm. They're that good. So, it'll be a tough game. Um, how, quickly, as we about to wrap up the show, how much do you think just a win? Could mo- you know? Could rejuvenate this locker room right now. It takes everything off your shoulders. I go because you know you can do it. it. It's the weirdest thing, but it's almost mentally like you're like, okay, I don't know what went wrong the first couple weeks, but like we can do this. We can win ball games. We've proven it. We can do it time and time again. We will do it again. He's Joe Sampson. Thanks to Philip Pilkington for producing. Thanks to Joe for hanging out. We'll be back tomorrow, twelve noon, with Bobby Harward on Wednesday's edition of Voice the Colors. 
This has been Hoist the Collars with your host, Stephen Igo. Tune in weekdays at noon for all things ECU sports. Get a recap of the show at 943thegame.com, on Twitter, Facebook, or anywhere you get your podcasts. We're back tomorrow with more of Hoist the Collars on 943 the game.